0: men always feel like after we sing and can it be I should just sit down and be quiet and in reality it is. it does express the essence of the message this morning <laughs> and can it be that our Lord did what he has done for our salvation for our being able to know him and walk with him and, and experience his presence I mean, it's just a It's something that if it does not make you stand in awe, then you need to rethink it. (laughs) You need to rethink the whole concept of of God's grace and God's majesty and His power. And we will see that, I hope, today in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. Now last week, you will recall that we looked at just verse 28. I'm going to tell you in a minute that y'all never just look at verse 28 by itself, okay? So you're going to say, I know, but you did last week, and I understand all that because I wanted to set it up for this week, but but verse 28 really does belong with verses 29 and 30 because verses 29 and 30 give the foundation of why the promise, the amazing promise we talked about last week can be true. It's not just a general matter that all things work together for good. It's not just a general matter that, that you know, don't worry, things will get better. Just endure, just persevere, just, just strive harder. And, and things are going to get better than they are right now. That's not the purpose of Romans eight twenty eight. That's not what the Apostle Paul is wanting you to get out of that or me to get out of that. What he wants us to see is that the essence of it is It says, as, as we read last week and saw last week, For God causes all things to work together for good. To those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. It is God's work and and God manufacturing that, if you will. God structuring that so that all things work together for good. Now, our problem is that many times what we see as good and what God means as good are not necessarily the exact same thing. We tend to think of stuff We tend to think of events and circumstances. We tend to think, well, you know, if if, if I'm going through a bad financial time, the way things will work together for good is that financial bad time will pass by and and I'll have a financial good time and a windfall. So I'm just waiting on God to change my my bank account that has $130 in it right now to one that will have $130,000 in it. That's not what God is concerned about in Romans 8, 28. He's not even concerned about the fact that maybe you're going through a very serious illness right now. I mean, he's concerned in, you, in that, and he is working that together, even that bad circumstance, for your good. But typically what we look for in this life is, is that if I am really ill, th- then if God is going to work that together, even that bad circumstance, working together for good, then that means there's going to be a time very soon where on this earth, just right now, I- I'm, I'm going to be totally and perfectly healed physically on this earth. That's not what God is most concerned about when he talks about he's working all things together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. God always has an eschatological view. He always has an end view. He always has a heavenly view in the life of believers for what it means to be good and what, thing, what it means to be working things together for good. Now, I had several people this week ask me, you're not really gonna preach these two verses, 29 and 30, are you? I mean, after all, these two verses have that word in them. You know, the P word. It has that word, and wouldn't it be better just to pass these two verses on over? God help us if we do that. Because while we may have difference of understandings of what the P word means, it's in the Holy Writ. It's in the Word of God. I'm always amazed at people who say, "Well, you 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 don't believe in predestination, do you?" I say, "Well, yes, I do." Oh, I don't. And then I ask them a question: Would well, you believe that this is the Word of God in its totality? Do you believe the Scripture is without error? And they're quick to say, "Oh, yes, I believe that." And I kind of look at them. Look at them a little strange because i say, well if you believe this is the word of god from cover to cover word to word it's god's absolute truth that we are to learn from then you've got to have some kind of doctrine of predestination because the word is in the text multiple times and the concept there even more than the word is now again we can differ on the extent we can differ on exactly what that means but don't ever say, I believe the word of God the Bible is the word of God without error, and say, but I don't believe in the P word. See, I don't even like to say it. Don't don't say you don't say that because you cannot have those two things together. They are mutually exclusive uh, unless you say, Okay, I may not understand it. I may not clearly have a grasp of it, and that's okay. But don't say, no, I don't believe that, because it's there in the Bible. We saw last week, before we read these, these verses, we saw last week that, that this promise of Romans 8.28, this promise that God works all, causes all things to work together for good to those who love, love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, we saw that it ought to lead us to a, a spirit of gratitude and joy, even in the routine of life. Even when life seems boring life seems stressful that this promise this amazing promise that god has made in his word ought to cause us to have a great joy and a great gratitude toward him that he's in control and he is working and he has not left us alone secondly we saw that this this truth removes the general fear and anxiety of life when things do go wrong and things do go wrong we live in a world that since the fall has been going wrong since the fall it's been crumbling it's been falling apart in the earlier part of this chapter uh, the apostle paul said it's been groaning it's been groaning and and hurting because of the fall but yet this truth this promise helps us to remove that general fear and anxiety of for life when it just doesn't go right and third we saw that this verse gives us a confidence that we can't ruin God's purpose in our life we can't ultimately ruin it we can resist it some we can we can we can kind of mess up on the way but ultimately and completely we cannot ruin what is God's purpose in our lives as believers But now it does come down to the understanding we're going to talk about today of seeing that God's purpose and our purpose are not always meaning the same thing. And even the way we think or hope that God's purpose is, it doesn't always mean exactly what we are talking about. So here we have the good that God is working for in verses 29, 28, 29, and 30. So here are these verses. I'll start again with 28 and read these three together. Hear them because this is the word of our Lord. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, I want you to see here what the Apostle Paul is wanting us to see coming out of verse 28 and into verse 29. There's a parallel verse, I think, that goes with this that I, I don't want you to forget. I want you to remember. And it's Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says it a little more succinctly, but he says this, For I am confident of this very thing. I know this. I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. That's the day of his second coming or the day you go to be in his presence with him. Paul says, I want you to know that God who is at work, if he has begun a work in you by his grace and for his glory, if he has begun a work in your life that has been initiated by him and carried out by him, he does not give up on you. He will perfect it, he will carry it out. He will see it through all the way to the end he will persevere with you even when you don't feel like persevering with him that's the promise if he started something he's going to complete it god is not a god who gives up on his people and that's what paul is getting at in verses 29 and 30 of romans chapter 8. in verses 29 and 30 they provide the answer to the good that god is working out they show us that god's definition of good is far greater far higher than ours ever tends to be you know a lot of people take romans eight twenty eight and stop there and move on into some kind of a if you will a health and wealth gospel let's well, say oh well if god is working all things together for my good all i gotta do is have enough faith all i gotta do is wait and, and then finally one day it'll happen and i'll be healthy and i'll be wealthy. And I'll have everything I want and everything I perceive that I need. and, and They kind of draw this out of, of that verse when it is not in that verse at all because it's, all of that focuses on the temporal. It focuses on the here and now. I remember when I was a, a child, a very young teenager, I remember reading. It was on the front of Time magazine. I believe it was Time. Maybe it was Life or Look. One of those magazines. Anyway, when I was a child, I remember seeing the story of a of a buddhist monk who was who was set himself on fire because he just wanted to show his his commitment to whatever his god was but i remember reading about another one in 1967 or 68 uh, another buddhist monk who announced that he was going to walk on water and and he announced this throughout the village and the people gathered and they they couldn't wait to see this miracle duplicating a miracle that Christianity talked about Jesus doing and he said I'm going to walk on water and he prepared himself he had the faith he he trusted he was going to walk on water and they all gathered thousands of people gathered around this pool one day and he told his people you just got to believe that you're going to see me walk on water and they all came to see him walk on water and as he stepped out into the pool he took one step and went Huff-sh. that's a splash he didn't know <laughs> he went under he stood up and he looked at the crowd and he said somebody here doesn't have enough faith Well that sounds a lot like the health and wealth gospel that says to us man it's all about your faith it's all about what you do when in reality paul wants us to see it's really all about what god does he wants to see that the good that god is talking about is much higher and much much greater than anything we can think about uh, it, it goes beyond things and stuff. It goes beyond the temporal. Paul's exclamation, of "What God's purpose is, it, is that He's working in that, that He's working in all circumstances to accomplish is something very specific, and it has to do with your character." Now, this passage has been called many different things. John Stott called it five undeniable truths. The Puritans called it the, the golden chain, the golden 5 link chain of salvation that stretches from eternity past to eternity future, from God's foreknowing and foreseeing and foreloving to, to God you know, glorifying in the final analysis. It's, it, it goes from eternity past to eternity future. God's plan for salvation, God's plan for redeeming the people for himself is not something that, that he started thinking about after the fall. You know, you hear some people, I, I, I heard a pastor not long ago or, or read in a pastor's book not long ago that after the fall and, and things weren't perfect and, and after Jesus came to the cross, or you kind of, that, that, that had to kind of be God's plan B. I want you to know that was God's plan A from the beginning, from before the beginning. God is not a God whose plans get frustrated and, and thwarted by some human action. God is a God who operates in accordance with his own character his own will but his purpose in your life as paul has shown us here is to work on your character it's to work on your character everything working together for good everything working together for a purpose everything that is is being what what god is intended it to be is is working itself out for our final and ultimate sanctification, holiness, and salvation. Everything that, everything that Paul talks about here is God working out good in order to conform you and conform me to the image of Jesus Christ, to the image of his Son. That's what he says. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined. Those whom he, uh, to, and that predestination was that they might become conformed to the image of his Son. You see, God is more concerned that you and I reflect the character of Christ to that co-worker, to that family member, to that neighbor, than he is that you have a healthy bank account. God is more concerned that you and I reflect the grace and the glory of Jesus Christ. We sang about it this morning for heaven's sake. He, he's concerned more that we reflect who he is and what he's like than he is that, that we you know, we, we never have a bad cold or, or, heaven forbid, anything worse than that. God's purpose is shaping us and molding us and shaping you and molding you into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the whole purpose. It's what this good is. That's what this good is that God is working toward and he's desiring for you to see it in your life and he's desiring for a world that is desperate to see the reality of Christianity to see it worked out in your life in the bad circumstances in the difficult situations in the times when things are not going like you think they ought to go are like you think you deserve that they go, that they see the Spirit of Christ, the the glorious likeness of Christ shining through your life. And folks, that's something you can't do yourself. Understand that. The Christian life is not gritting our teeth and saying, okay, I'm going to try to be like Jesus. It's not even WWJD. What would Jesus do? He had a little more going for him in doing what he did than we have in our own strength it's not a matter of trying harder it's not a matter of of saying you know i'm just gonna fake it and you can't fake it when you look at the fruit of the spirit in in galatians and paul says through the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness long-suffering patience you know all of these kind of things self-control Understand, Paul is not saying now here is a here is a list of things that you need to really put on your checklist and try to be like. You can't do that. He calls it the fruit of the Spirit. Because what it is, it's the, it's the fruit of Christ being worked out in your life by the Holy Spirit, who we've talked about in, in union with Christ. We have the Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. Strengthening us, shaping us, conforming us to the image of His Son. You know, it's one thing to believe that God's plan can't fail. It's a total another thing to know that you yourself are God's loving, invincible plan and purpose for this world. He wants you to show somebody what Christ is like. Not just tell them you got to tell them you know the old saying that's gone around you've heard people say well you know always preach the gospel and when necessary use words that's the most ridiculous statement that's ever been made always preach the gospel and it is necessary to use words oh yeah you live it you're conformed to his image you're You're being, he's working in your life. That's true. He's shaping you. He has predestined. He has already determined that you're going to be in the likeness of Christ. For many of us, sadly, it won't be until we see him face to face. But there ought to be a progression. There ought to be a, well, it won't be for any of us until we see him face to face. Let me clarify that. Not completely. But there ought to be a growing. There ought to be a shaping. I mean, how many times has God taken the chisel and the hammer to your life? and chiseled away through difficult times things that just aren't very Christ-like. Maybe it was a habit. Maybe it was an attitude. Maybe it was a personality trait that you just try to pass off. I say, well, that's just me. And God says, well, that may just be you, but that's not me, and I want more of me to be in you. So I'm going to work on chiseling it away completely. You see what Paul is saying here? See, none of this is abstract, put here so you know, that, that people can argue for generations and people can, can say, well, are, are you Calvinist or Arminian or are you Pelagian or are you semi-Pelagian? Or you, you know, it's not put there so they can argue that. That's, that's, that's ridiculous. It's put there so that we can see that our God is a mighty God. I, I love that hymn, And Can It Be? The two last verses just always blow me away. They, they, they reduce me to, to tears when I'm sitting there singing them. You know, I was, in, I was enslaved. I was in a prison. I was enslaved to sin. There was nothing I could do. And, and God's quickening ray, God's spirit opened my eyes. The chains fell off. And, and because of his work in my life by grace, I got up, I arose, and I followed him because he was at work he always is initiating the work. You know, I. you gotta understand the point of this is that God initiated our relationship with him. Jesus talked about that in in John's gospel. Jesus said to the disciples and ultimately you and me, you didn't choose me, I chose you to follow me and be obedient to me. I, I love the hymn writer. I think it's anonymous. I, I, it's in many hymn books, and I, I love the hymn, but I don't, think it's a, I don't think there's a name attributed to the words. There is to the music. But the hymn writer of the song, I sought the Lord and afterward knew. You ever heard that hymn? It, it's a great truth. It says, I sought the Lord and afterward I knew. He moved my soul to seek him. Seeking me, excuse me, he moved my soul to seek him, seeking me. It was not I that found, O oh, Savior, true, no, I was found by thee. You know, it's, it's the same thing that Romans 3 says. When Paul says Romans 3, no man seeks after God, no man desires God, no, no man wants a relationship. We run from God. We, uh, the, Paul says later that we are at enmity with God, we're enemies of God. It's God's initiation and God's work in order that he might shape us and mold us and work all things together for good in our life. And that good being Christ likeness. And I want you to see the security in it. Because these verses, as others that we've looked at in Romans chapter 8, these verses give us that security that is just unbelievable. To use that word again, it's incomprehensible it's so good it really is I mean here you have Almighty God at work saying that if you are in Christ if you are in union with Christ he has foreknown you from before creation before time before we knew anything about it and he he's, he's predestined us to become conformed to the image of his son and then he has called us that the other two are in time past, this call takes place in our own life in the present, and and he calls us and he justifies us, those whom he's called. He doesn't say, I've called and maybe some of those will get justified. He said, those whom I've called, them he has also justified, that is declared righteous in his sight. Them I have justified, and those whom he's justified, listen to this, he also glorifies. might get a shout out of that I mean come on folks God is saying if you are in Christ Paul writing the inspired text here has God saying that if you are in Christ you have been called by his Holy Spirit you have been justified by the work of Christ on the cross and if you're in Christ you have been glorified Now, wait a minute. I'll I'll use myself as an example here. I could use any one of you. I don't look very glorified. Either in my appearance or in my actions or in my thoughts or in my any number of things. But I want you to understand, if you're in Christ, here's the good. If you're in Christ, God sees you already as glorified in his son. I mean, that that is incomprehensible in our own strength, in our own brain. Our, Our brain is so puny to figure that out. But God says it's true. God says it's an unbroken chain. It's a perfect work of God. It's a perfect provision that only he can do. Listen, when Jonah said after seeing the Ninevites turn and repent, salvation is of the Lord... Let me tell you, he was looking at a, a godless group of people who repented. But he knew it was the Spirit of God. He didn't like it so much. There was the Spirit of God that moved. Salvation is of the Lord. Paul says, here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that God is not a passive God in your life god is not just sitting back hoping you do the right thing and 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 just kind of upset with you if you don't god loves you you're his son you're his daughter you're adopted into his family you're you're a joint heir with christ you're you're a co-heir with the king of kings and the lord of lords You're, you're 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 wealthy beyond words not necessarily in earthly wealth but in what really matters God says you're mine and I and I love you and I am going to work in your life in such a way that you will be glorified I see you as already glorified Paul uses the past tense there he doesn't say you know, those whom he called, he also justified, and, and maybe those whom he justified will get glorified one day. He says, Those whom he justified, he also glorified. It's future and it's past and it's complete and it's perfect because we serve and worship and follow a perfect Savior. A perfect Lord. So, what does that mean for us? It means what it says. It means God is working something in your life that you can't even imagine right now. And God is working in your life if you are in Christ. That's the caveat. That's the condition, if you will. If you are in Christ, God is working something out in your life that is so magnificent, so glorious, so good, so amazing that He's making you like christ he's conforming you to the image of christ that's that purpose of god that's that work of god that's what he wants to see in each of our lives and he wants to see it so much that he is actively purposely working to that end What about those tough times? You ever done any woodworking? If you're going to make it smooth, you've got to use some sandpaper. That's a rough time. You ever worked with stone? Or if you worked with stone, you've got to use a hammer and a chisel. And chip away. Somebody asked Michelangelo one time how he, how he did the statue of David. And he says, I took my chisel, my hammer, and I chipped away everything that didn't look like David. That's what God's doing in your life. He's taking those tough times, those difficult times, those struggles, whether they're physical, whether they're health, and we'll see next week that he's even more concerned about another kind of suffering than he is sickness or or financial or things like that. It's persecution. And, And that's coming next week, so be ready. But he's taking those and he's chipping away everything in your life that doesn't look like Jesus. We know this. We are confident of this. That he who began a good work in you will perfect it, make it perfect in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ when you see him face to face. Either by second coming or by death. And we're confident of this thing, Paul says. We know, we're not just speculating. We know that God causes all things to work together for good, ultimate good, glorious good to those who love God, committed to Him. Dealt with that last week. And who are called according to His purpose. What is that purpose? To be shaped. Into the image of Christ. Are you afraid of the circumstances in your life? Then look to Him. Are you scared things are not going to turn out like you want them to? Well, they may not. Look to Him. Because His purpose, His plan, His ideas, His thinking, His ways are higher than our. They're greater than our ways. But they're gloriously for our good. Thanks be to God. And see, that truth is borne out in these elements. How much did he love you? He loved you enough to send his son. How much did he love you to get you in that purpose and get you moving toward that glorious glorification and and that work of uh, in your life through the calling and justification, all those things, how, did, how He loved you enough that he sent Jesus to the cross. Perfect Lamb of God, referring in the perfection to all the old lambs that had been slain on an altar by Israel for hundreds of years, thousands of years. So there's the one they've all been pointing to. And in the upper room, he said, this is my body. Took the bread and said, this is my body, which is, which is given for you. Take and eat it and do this in remembrance of me. And, and he took the cup and he said, this is, my, this, is, this is my blood, which is poured out for you. It's the blood of the new covenant. Take and drink it and do it in remembrance of me. Illustrating that union with Christ. Demonstrating that oneness with Christ comes because of the work of God in your life. Not your work, not your hopes, not your strivings, but the work of God in your life as he shapes you and molds you into the image of Christ. As we come to this table this morning, I invite you, if you are a disciple of Christ, baptized believer in Jesus Christ and in good standing with your church, I invite you to join us at this table. This is not the Grace Baptist table. It's not the Baptist table. It's the Lord's table. It's for his disciples. And and so you're invited. I do ask you parents to help your children if they're not believers, baptized believers, let it pass by and, and not take of it at this point use it as a teaching tool for them when you get home today on what it means to be a believer in Christ and have the privilege of coming to this table but the Apostle Paul said when you come examine yourselves so now I'm gonna ask you if you would just to bow your heads with me first of all there may be someone here this morning whose examination needs to be who is Christ? And your examination may be that you need to say, "I don't know Him." If you don't know Him, let the table, let the plate pass by you. But I ask you to call out on His mercy and on His grace and trust Him this morning, as Lord and Savior. It might be that your examination is you're a believer, and and yet you've got. You're harboring sin in your life that you know God has been dealing with you about and you need to confess that before you take this table. Might be a broken relationship. Might be a broken relationship where you've hurt someone or they've hurt you and they may be sitting in the same room this morning. If they are you need to move and sit next to them and, and ask their forgiveness and grant forgiveness before you take of this, of this meal. just ask you to examine yourselves and then take this meal with us as we remember his death, burial, and resurrection. I'm going to ask those deacons who will be serving while you continue to pray for them to come and let's prepare for the Lord's Supper.